prayer. Lord Jesus, this is our desire tonight. That in our hearts and through our worship, you would be blessed. That you would be praised and adored. Lord, may you use the, the words of this preacher to convey the, the message that you have ordained for tonight. And Lord, may you open the hearts, the minds, the souls of each one gathered here, that they may hear it and obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I was preparing for tonight's message, I thought back to the very first sermon that I ever preached. I had just finished up my studies at Nazarene Theological Seminary. And Marcia and I had returned to our homes to spend the Christmas holidays with our families. While we were there, we received a call from a district superintendent about interviewing for a senior pastorate at a small northern Michigan city called Gaylord. So, of course, uh, being anxious to move out of studies and into ministry, we agreed to go and to interview for this position. It happened to be that the interview was set up on a Wednesday evening, and so the church asked me to present the message for their normal midweek service. Wednesday came, and, and we were at the church, and the uh, sanctuary was packed with a huge crowd of about 15 or so people. As they sat in their pews, they listened with rapt attention to every word that I had to say as I expounded on my vast knowledge of God's Word and shared the message which God had inspired for that evening. Four minutes and 35 seconds later, I had totally exhausted everything I knew about God's Word and all the inspiration that God had given me for the evening. So I folded my Bible and sat down. Not a very promising beginning to a preaching career. Would you agree? Well, I want you to know that someday you're going to be there too. <laughs> Your time here at Nazarene Bible College will come to an end. I promise you, it will someday come to an end. And you will receive that muchly anticipated phone call from a district superintendent or the senior pastor of a church. And soon after that, you will find yourself 
either in a pulpit presenting your first sermon or in a classroom presenting that first lesson. I am here tonight to encourage you. If one whose preaching career began so unpromisingly can come to the point where now he is a member of the faculty of Nazarene Bible College, and he has the great privilege to stand before the, the faculty, the staff, and the student body of this great institution. If such a one can come to this point, then there is hope for you. By the way, things have changed. I can promise you, I will not end this message in five minutes. <laughs> Nowadays, it takes me five minutes just to get through the introduction. In the passage, which is our theme for the year, Peter states that as believers, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. From this statement, we come to understand that the core function of our salvation and our call to be the priests of God, our core function in this Christian life, in this Christian ministry, is to preach and teach the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I believe that, that what Peter is telling us is that we cannot separate from the Christian life. We cannot separate from our position as the priests of God the task to proclaim his promises through His Word. You and I cannot be the priests of God unless we perform that task. The two are essential and cri critical to each other. The importance of this task is also reflected in the prophecy of Amos chapter 8 and verses 11 and 12, where God foretells of a time when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, 
but they will not find it. Personally, I believe that we live in such a time as this. It is a time when many claim to speak on behalf of God. But the words of few of them bear the stamp of God's presence. Lots of speaking, lots of preaching, little true presence as the Word of God. Unfortunately, as my first sermon proved, just because our preaching or teaching comes from the Bible, does not mean that it will carry the force of the Word of God with those who hear it. The scribes of the New Testament are a good example of this. No one else in their time knew the Scriptures better, nor used the Scriptures more proficiently. But in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, which, which brings us in just at the end of the message of Jesus that we call the Sermon of the Mount, we are told that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at His teaching, because He taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Though the scribes were authorities on the Scriptures, their teaching was missing the authority of God. The term that, that Matthew uses here for authority is one which means uh, he whose words must be submitted to and obeyed. It is this authority that distinguished, was the, was the primary and sole distinguishing characteristic between the teaching of the scribes and the preaching of Jesus Christ. It is this authority, this sense that what is say, said and what is preached is something that demands our submission and our obedience. It is this sense of authority that distinguishes between the words of men and the words of God. It is this sense of authority that is the only thing that can satisfy that famine, that hunger, that thirst of which God spoke in Amos. It was this authority that characterized the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. 
Perhaps the greatest testimony to the authority of Christ's teaching is written in the passage that is our primary text for the evening, Luke 23, verses 1 through 5. Please turn to this text and follow as I read. Luke 23, verses 1 through 5. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. Now let me repeat that one key phrase. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. The preaching and teaching of Jesus had the characteristic of authority to it because its impact upon the people who heard it was that it would stir up their life. The term used here is a compound word. It is comprised of the root seo, which means to rock or to throw into turmoil. Combined with this is the prepositional prefix ana, which means repeatedly or with intensity. It is a word that Luke intentionally chose to invoke the image of a forceful earthquake that violently and relentlessly shakes up the world of the people who heard his words. The authority of the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ was simply in this, that these were words that would literally stir up, shake up a person's world. And it is no excuse, it is no accident that this is the primary accusation that the scribes and the Pharisees brought against Jesus. Because this is what they found to be most dangerous about him. His words were such that they would show, so shake up a person's world that it would turn into rubble. The foundations, the structures, the perceptions of their whole world. 
It is what they feared about Jesus the most. What the scribes and Pharisees didn't understand is that this is precisely the type of teaching and preaching for which the world is hungering and thirsting. As a matter of fact, this is the only way in which the true Word of God can be expressed and experienced in a world that does not conform to His will or His character. It must stir up our lives. This is the only word that can satisfy the human soul. This is the preaching, the teaching, that is the only model, the only source for us. Because it is not to be our teaching, our preaching, but it is to be Jesus teaching and preaching through us. I genuinely believe tonight that to preach and teach in this same manner is the desire and the dream of each and every one of us gathered here tonight. I would dare say that there is not a one of us who would rather walk after the model of the teaching and preaching of the scribes and Pharisees rather than the model that has been established by Jesus Christ. We want, I am confident, to be world shakers in our preaching and our teaching. But how are we to ensure that we are able to stir men's souls and not become just so much more powerless babble that is prevalent in our world? While there are a number of scriptural elements to power-filled preaching, I feel led tonight just to speak to you about two. The first is that we, like Jesus, must teach and preach authoritatively. However, do not mistake authority with presumptuousness. We fall into this trap when we adopt the attitude that I am the final authority. When we make the Word of God conform to our desires, to our thoughts, and to our purposes, that is not authority. That's idolatry. That is putting ourselves before God. That is forcing God and His Word to submit to us and our will. 
true authority comes and is experienced when we fully and completely humble ourselves to God and to His Word and let His Word be His Word and control us instead. This kind of authority is founded on confidence. Authority is the confidence, first of all, that the Bible is the unshakable, unchanging truth. Authority is also the confidence that the Bible gives testimony to Jesus Christ, who is the unshakable, unchanging, living truth. Authority is founded on the confidence that it is the Word of God, both living and written, that is the only thing that can satisfy every hunger, every thirst, every need, every hurt of the human heart. But I want you to hear this also. Authority is founded on the confidence that you, you personally, have been chosen by God to be His mouthpiece, to speak His Word to a specific time, in a specific place, and for the specific people to whom the will of God will lead you in the future. When you have that kind of a confidence in the written Word of God, in the living Word of God, in the ability and the provision of that Word, and in your calling as the mouthpiece of God, then you will be able to stand in the same authority as Jesus Christ. It is this authority that gives us the confidence to stand up to the pilots of this world who ask, is this the king of the Jews? And to say, yes, it is as you say. And not only the king of the Jews, but the king of each and every one of us. Such confidence can only be gained and sustained when we have studied and lived with the text of God's Word until we come to that point where we can hear in that text the voice of God that says, this is what I am trying to say in this text at this time, in this place, and to these people. We must so live with, study, and know the text, and hear God's voice in it, 
so that we may come to the point where we may join in with the great prophetic tradition and we may stand before the people and say, These are not my words. Thus saith the Lord. If the teaching of Jesus is to live in us, we must first preach authoritatively. We must also teach transformationally. If you want to teach and preach so as to stir up lives like Jesus, then you must not only know God's Word, but you must also intimately know the people to whom God has sent you. You must know their hearts, their desires, their fears, their joys, their pasts, their strengths, their weaknesses. Again, Jesus is our example. When Jesus taught Nicodemus, he looked past all of the spiritual, all of the moral achievements, and he saw in him a heart that did not yet know peace and assurance. When Jesus spoke with the woman at the well, he saw the deep need in her for true love. He saw the emptiness of her life. When Jesus came across the path of Zacchaeus, he saw that that all the ill-gotten wealth of his life had not been able to purchase happiness for him. And the authoritative power of Jesus Christ lay in the fact that not only did he know what God had to say, but he so knew the people that God brought across his path that he could take the word of God and bring it at the point of the intersection of their need and point them to the abundant provision of God for every need in their life. If you and I want the teaching, the preaching of Jesus to live in us and to be expressed through us, then we must teach authoritatively. We must teach transformationally. The same earth-shattering, soul-stirring quality of Christ's teaching can be exhibited in us. I would like to share just one word of caution at this time. I have been preaching and teaching long enough to know that it is fairly easy to stir people up with your words. With the right words, you can engage them You can send them into fits of tears or rapture and in many ways cause their worlds to come tumbling down. What truly distinguishes a genuine, famine-satisfying Word of God, world-stirring, shaking, 
word is to offer people a message with enough substance, meat, and power in it to enable them to rebuild their world in the image of Jesus. I would like to say again that I believe the greatest desire and dream of each one of us here who are called to be teachers and preachers of the Word of God is that we should so preach and teach with the same world-tremoring authority as Jesus Christ. I believe you have a genuine commitment to provide a famine-starved world with the eternally satisfying meat of the Word of God. If this is your prayer tonight, I would like to exercise a New Testament discipline of grace on your behalf. I'm going to invite you to come. Make your commitment known to God. And as you kneel here and bow at our altars, I have asked our faculty to come and we are going to practice the New Testament discipline of laying on of hands for the anointing of God through the prayers of His people. As you respond and as you come, I'm going to ask the faculty to come. And as you kneel here, I'm just going to have faculty who know you personally, know you by name, and can pray for you by name to lay their hands on you. And they will pray that God will anoint you with the authority to preach and teach, the power to preach and teach like Jesus. If that is your prayer, if that is your commitment, would you come at this time?